With the explosion of the internet, video editing is in our lives more than we realize. And with YouTuber or filmmaker being the top job kids want today, the demand for editors will only escalate. Editing now is like what coding was during the dot-com era. And just like everyone needed a website, soon everyone will need an editor. And that's where we come in. This is Hayden Hillier Smith. He is known for editing for Logan Paul, Mr. Beast, and he won the 2020 Streamy for editing. And this, this is Jordan Orm. He is known for making music videos and commercials for Justin Bieber, Host Malone, Nike, and Google. We're so obsessed with editing that when we're not cutting some of your favorite videos on YouTube, we're pouring over films, TV, and videos frame by frame on our own channels. So we're teaming up to create the podcast that we wish we had in film school. The Editing Podcast. A show where we delve into the creative minds behind the best YouTube videos, shows, and movies to gain insight about the art of film editing. In this very first episode, we're gonna talk about how to get clients like Justin Bieber. Through some DMs, got into that small network of music video creators. Why throwing a Dalek at a TARDIS led to be working with one of the biggest creators ever. And that was actually the first viral video I ever made. And how the movie Inside Out gave men permission to cry. And suddenly my face starts tickling. I'm like, <laughs> what is this? And we also talk about murdering your darlings, which is why I've already cut out half of Jordan's lines. Wait, what? I've noticed where my knowledge has hit a wall and I'm wanting to find where I can learn more. We can niche down, we have our knowledge, but that's not it. That's not be all and end all. We are the experts in our field, but there is knowledge that we severely lack in. Someone else has had a completely different creative experience than us. Someone else has a completely different story to where they've led up to today. If they're able to share their stories, they're able to talk about what it is in their life and their stories and their creative philosophies, that's going to help us and everyone else who listens that they can then also discover what they want to be as editors or they've probably been going down a path and they go, actually, I want to try this path because this guest gave me some really interesting insight. I want to try this out. And then you will always be learning. You will never, ever know enough. And you just got to keep on learning, keep on asking questions, maintain curiosity, mm -hmm. and never assume we know everything. The moment we start talking about as if we know everything, we need to cancel this podcast right away. Yeah, absolutely. Turn it, turn it off. I've sort of niched down a little bit. Like I'm mostly a web content creator. Like yep. I do predominantly YouTube and TikTok content. If you put a short film in front of me, I'll do it terribly. If you put a music video in front of me, I'll do it terribly. I've also dabbled on the idea of what happens if I try looking into VFX work? What happens if I actually try to expand probably my narrative ability by having the tools to think VFX wise. Our knowledge only goes so far. Mm. And so starting this podcast for us is just a way, an excuse, honestly, for me, just an excuse to say, <laughs> hey, you're freaking amazing at whatever blank it is that you do, generally editing, because editing is you know, mm. what we like to nerd about. And I find myself on my YouTube channel just regurgitating the same information mm. all the time. I'm, just, I, I'm stuck in my own mind, in my own narrow-sighted, viewpoint on what editing is. And I just love talking with people like you, with people all over the world about yeah. editing and just nerding out together. How did we end up here at this moment? We've talked about the philosophies of our podcast. We talked about what we want to be doing as this podcast, but how did we end up at this point today? Where did it begin for you? And how did that story bring you to this moment? For me, I had never really did any filmmaking anything when I was when I was a small child, when I was a wee boy, when I was a wee lad. <laughs> I got to film school and I was actually just trying it out. I didn't know if I wanted to be a graphic designer or a filmmaker because I liked art in high school. But I went out and shot my first short film 
and started putting it all together. And I was slaving over the pre-production process and I was just going hard, shooting it, slaving away, sweating, tears, blood, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And it actually came down to a point where I got into the editing lab and I never edited before. And I'm literally in film school, like pretending like I know what I'm doing, but I, I don't. What software was it? It was Avid. Avid. Avid Wait, Media Avid Proposer. was your first ever tool? I've never used anything else. Oh my Avid. Yeah. Wow. So it was crazy. So I got into the editing lab and just started putting it together, started having like tutorials up on one screen, my editing software on another screen, and just started putting together the script that I had written. I'd never written a script before. It was just like time slowed down and sped up at the exact same time. There was just mm. some kind of magical moment where I was just losing track of time. The way that I was able to put together different clips and change the meaning and, and add this music track just to completely change the emotion of a scene. Mm. I was just like, it's insane, bro. This is nuts. I got to the editing lab at 5 p.m. and I look up at the clock and it was 5 a.m. And Ooh. 12 hours had literally gone by between me stepping into that editing lab and exiting. And I just remembered, that, okay, what the heck? Mm. I could actually make this into a career. I was looking for that one thing. What is that thing that you can continue to do that gets you excited to wake up every morning, that puts a little bit of fire in your bones? And, and how can you affect change into the world with that thing? Mm. So that is what it was for me. And I just branded myself as an editor. I said, hey guys, let me edit your thing. Let me edit your music video. Let me edit your short film. And I did a lot of narrative up in, in, the, in the beginning of my career. I wanted to learn how to make a music video and I never knew what to do. And so I went and borrowed a friend's red camera and just shot a music video for a friend of mine who was actually on the football team. And he was a rapper. So he was doing, you know, doing all that. his rap moves. And, you know, you get that low budget rap music video look. And that was my first experience into editing music videos. And then I went over to alumni and I just started asking, hey, can I edit your music video? Can I edit it for free? Can I, can I edit it for cheap change? I just want to edit more mm -hmm. things. I just want to practice this craft and get better at it. And from then on, I was branded as a music video editor. And I eventually worked my way up and through, through some DMs, got into that small network of music video creators. Oh, so there's like a small network? It's to, everybody knows everybody. That's oh, okay. Crazy. I mean, it's like anything else. Yeah, yeah. There's like an editor's network for YouTubers. Yeah. I didn't ever even consider there's, a, there's like a small network of music video editors. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like there's like 20 of us. Like total. That 20 videos, of, probably own the entire industry. Own the entire industry, yeah. <laughs> so it's nuts. And after editing for some of those big music video artists, and I started doing commercials. I've been editing for Nike, for Google, really delving into that short form area. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden I had no work because all the big productions were shutting down. So all those big music videos, all of those things, they couldn't film anymore. Mm. So I was stuck in my room, and I got a call from a friend who works for Social Media Examiner, actually. He said, Jordan, you need to freaking make a YouTube channel, bro. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, dude, I know YouTube is like hard. Like you mm -hmm. have to put in hours and hours of work before you see any results. You have to put in like two, three years of work before you, your channel starts taking off. Like that was- Like even not even now, like it's a long- It's a long, long amount of effort. Yeah. Yeah. And so that had always deterred me from creating a YouTube channel and from getting into it and putting in all that effort. But the pandemic hit and at that point, I was like, you know, what else am I gonna do? So I may as well go for it. Earlier that year, I had edited some dance videos for Justin Bieber. Mm -hmm. And so I started my first video. I was like, hey, maybe somebody would be interested in hearing from Justin Bieber's editor, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, my name is Jordan. I'm Justin Bieber's editor. And that I put out like a two minute YouTube video and that was the beginning of the YouTube channel. And then it just suddenly, it kind of kicked off a little bit. Like it's just, it, the momentum 
started because I remember seeing it on my perspective. Like I yeah. see it suddenly I'm seeing that content and I saw the momentum that it created straight away. A lot of YouTube editing online is about technical editing. Here's how to do this effect on yep. After Effects. Here's how to do this transition in Premiere Pro. And then you kind of went, no, here is the psychology of a cut. Here is the reason why you would do this rhythm. Here's why you need to create this emotion. And suddenly that was kind of an epiphany moment, I think for me and I think a bunch of other creators as well. You stumbled upon a very unique place on, or a new niche or a new gap in the market on YouTube. And then you started talking about that. And then for me, that's also what inspired me and my channel. You shared details. I'm like, that is like, that is so clear, but I didn't notice it until you pointed it out. Yeah. And so for me, I value that so much. You went into the traditional space mm -hmm. and you've now transitioned into the uh, the YouTube space, which there is like an unofficial competitiveness and differences towards it, where yeah. it's like yep. YouTube content is looked at differently by traditional media. YouTubers and YouTube creators look at traditional media differently as well. For me, I've always kind of disagreed with that. It's like, we're making entertainment. We're making content for everyone to enjoy. Why are we, why is this kind of unspoken roughness with each other even with that as you've been exploring into the youtube uh, web content uh industry what is like what is, has been some of the discoveries that you've had i could talk about this for hours like <laughs> absolute hours and i think you're so ahead of the curve because youtube has always looked down upon yeah from the perspective of traditional media and i was like very guilty of that. I was like, man, I'm never going to be a YouTuber. YouTube is for chumps. Like mm. why? I want to make films. Mm. I want to make cinema. <laughs> you know, I, that was me. That, that You're all right. It's like, yeah, I'm, I am an auteur. I am the next Quentin I'm Tarantino. You want me to be a YouTuber? Piss off. You know? Exactly. It, that is the common, that is a common attitude. I'm stereotyping a little bit, but that is an attitude I've received a lot. Yeah, exactly. And I am totally guilty of that, but I've had such a shift in my thought process and I've just, you know, that was my character flaw. And now I'm <laughs> over here, a changed man, let me tell you. And Hayden has brought the light. So I appreciate that. I've honestly just decided to full send on YouTube, mm. like completely. And that's why I love obsessing of, over your channel and talking with you about anything and everything YouTube, just because that's the direction that I'm wanting to head mm. personally. Mm. And I think there's just so much freedom on YouTube that you can't get anywhere else. The main job that I've been doing for the past couple of years has been working for Logan Paul. Yep. I've been editing his videos, but it's me and him. That's it. It's like, he sends me footage. I do what I need to do and I send it back to him. And you have a creative back and forth. And that's it. It's two people making the content. I would imagine for you, and I correct me if I'm wrong, if you're editing a video for like Justin Bieber, you probably have to edit for the producer, for the director, for the manager, for this person, this person, and maybe even the lawyers. Yeah. And they've all got their own different ideas. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I would, would it be safe to assume you've never spoken to Justin at all? Mm -mm. Never. I've never. Yeah. There's so many cooks. There's so many cooks. And you have to balance all of them. What we're doing as YouTube is such big scale, but it's still oddly intimate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that I've always valued the most. It's for me, I'm an introverted person. If I have five people telling me what to do, I will respond aggressively and negatively. <laughs> it's like, I will do that. Do you know who I am? Just let me edit the bloody video. Like I will tell them to piss off. Yeah. And that's why I don't think I could do traditional probably. Yeah. I just like the intimacy. It's like, I want to be creative with one person and let's work it out together. And then for us, it then means that the content feels very real, very authentic. Mm -hmm. To an extent, it still feels like the creator edited the video themselves. Mm -hmm. I just think of it, as YouTube is the wild west, it's mm. people just going out 
pioneering new land, going out into towns with no laws, doing whatever the frick they want. Mm. Whereas traditional media is, you know, staying in the city, working in the factories. That is true. But it that doesn't mean that traditional media is bad or wrong. Mm. It's like there was reasons for that infrastructure. There's for that reasons process. for that to exist. Because I've only done YouTube my entire career, I've kind of got this plateau's cave kind of problem where this is all I know. I look into the cave and that's all I see. And I want to be able to look outside of the cave and actually see a whole side of the industry that I would never probably ever experience. Same. And, so, and that's why we're here. And that's why we're, and that's here. Why we're here. We've come full circle. <laughs> Storytelling. There we go. So wait, so tell me though how okay. you got here now. The best way to start this is we were the generation before smartphones. We were the ones when we saw the technology starting to develop. Everyone's got a smartphone now and they can film whatever they want. We were the first people with phones that were heading towards that technology. And I had a flip phone that recorded like a five megapixel video. It was like, like the most pixelated video ever, but suddenly I could start capturing videos in my hand. So off I went. And I recorded me throwing a giant Dalek, which is a, which is a bad guy from a TV show called Doctor Who, and I threw it at a TARDIS, which is like an object in the Doctor Who TV show. I'm a big Whovian, so. Okay, so, yeah, so you know exactly oh, what yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> but and I thought it was so funny, so I showed it to a couple of my friends at school, and it spread across the entire school like wildfire, because the entire school loved Doctor Who. And that was actually the first viral video I ever made. That moment made me go, ooh, I like this. I like this. And so I started making more videos. I started making friends who had the exact same path, like the life path of like, suddenly there's a camera in front of them. They started making videos. We start working together. There was this whole amazing YouTube community back in the UK when YouTube was still developing. But of course, time progresses. We all kind of like, we all went our separate ways. I didn't know that. Yeah, there was an amazing UK YouTube community. And we all started discovering filmmaking together. It was generally one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And then I then studied, studied film at university. That's a topic we can talk about, going to film school rather than learning from experience. We can talk about that another time. But I used that time at university to also be continuing learning on YouTube as well and because I saw value on YouTube. And then at my university, all of the rest of the students that were with me kept on saying that Vimeo is going to take over YouTube in a year. <laughs> they they didn't. I saw the potential in YouTube. They didn't, but that's because they wanted to be the short filmmakers, the long forms, the feature films, the commercials. They wanted to do that. And so that I, I've always empathized and understood that prejudice. And, I, and, I, and I've always been fine with that. For me, once I graduated, I went, okay, I need to get a job because uh, I've got no money. I need to get something. So I got a job at a Facebook video company. At that time, during around, what was it? I think 2016, Facebook uh, video was all about copying each other's content, stealing each other's content, just downloading, putting it on our page, claiming it as our own and calling it a day. And that was my job. And morally and ethically, I was like, I don't like this. And so I held on to it because I needed the money. I held on to it because I needed the, uh, the experience. But it got to a point when I told the boss to go fuck himself. You really said that? Yes. You said those words. I said that to him. <laughs> and rightfully so, he fired me. And to be honest, I was like, yep, fair enough. Like, I do not blame him. But the thing is, this is the person... He is a high profile, high profile person. He is making big waves, but this is not the person who told to go fuck himself. And so word went around the industry about the kid who told that guy to go fuck himself. And word spread enough to Logan Paul. And Logan was like, that's the kid I want. His manager contacted me, said, hey, we've got some footage. We want to give you a test edit. I did the test edit. And Logan, he's like a jock kid, stereotypical jock. You know, he is like, it's like he's amazing at sports, sprints for miles, just says dude and bro and <laughs> what up and all that sort of stuff. He is the exact opposite of me, who is like a frail, introverted person who's sometimes afraid to, to exit my home. And like, we shouldn't mix. 
And so when I'm giving his footage, I'm not entertained. I think it's arrogant. I think it's egotistical. It's loud. It's obnoxious. This is awful for me. I need to make this entertaining for me. And so I made fun of him. I memed him, sent him the footage. And then 20 minutes later, he calls me up and says, Hayden, this is perfect. Where have you been all my life? And he pretty much said something that I remember very specifically where it was like, the stars had aligned. I've maintained that philosophy the entire time where it's like he sends you footage that's not quite my style and I don't have to make it entertaining for me. And we maintained that and Logan's always loved that. That's where it all began. And I have been very loyal to Logan for like the past almost seven years now, constantly working with him, sticking with him because he has given me creative experiences and creative ideas and creative knowledge that I would never learn without rubbing shoulders for someone like Logan. He is one of the most like fascinating people I've ever worked with and probably whatever with in my entire life. And so like I've been sticking with him for all of this time. And I've learned so much because of that, like very much niched down very tightly into being in the YouTube entertainment segment, like YouTube vlogs, YouTube comedy, YouTube documentaries, YouTube music videos but in his style and who he is as a person. And now it's led me to where I am today, where I feel confident enough to talk about editing, talking psychology, talking about retention. People, YouTubers love to talk about retention, emotions, storytelling, all of that through my experiences with Logan. You look at my editing when I started with Logan, terrible. I was very average, like very, very average. But because I focused and stuck with one person for all of these years, I've now got what I feel like is the abilities that I have today. If I can have editors younger than me start being better than me, then, our job is done, I would say, because we're talking about editing. I want people to be better than me very oh, yeah. soon. Absolutely. I just Absolutely. want to retire early, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm responsible to have you keep editing content. But that experience and sticking with someone for that long has been the main reason why I can do and feel confident in doing what I am today. Yeah, I think it's all about the reps you get in. There was an editing teacher that told me this story where there was this kid that worked in a box factory and his dad was in charge of the box factory. And so he, he put his kid to work and he started making boxes and he showed it to his dad. He worked really, really hard on this box. And his dad was like, you know what? I really appreciate that you made this box, but it's terrible because of this, this, and this reason. And so he said, okay, here's some more materials. Go make another box. Mm-hmm. And the kid, you know, made another box and then he gave it to his dad. And he's, he worked probably three times as hard on this box. Mm-hmm. And his dad was like, you know, it's an amazing box, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's like, it's, it's better. Just do it again. Gave him some more materials. And this kid just kept making boxes and kept making boxes. He made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of boxes. And then when he took a box to his dad, after doing this for hours and hours and weeks and months and maybe even yes. years, and he gave it to his dad and his dad was like, this is a perfect box. You've made an incredible box and I'm so proud of you. Yeah. And that moment where he can put in those reps and he actually mastered the craft of creating boxes. It just, it, you just need reps. You need the reps. You just it's, need it's the reps. In the same way as you would be building muscle in a gym, just exactly. put in those reps, to put in those sprints and suddenly you're going to end up being very fit, like creatively. Bottom line is because he put in the reps. It's it. He put in the effort and probably doing the same thing over and over again until it became instinctual. I've had this experiences recently where maybe an editing problem that I had two years ago probably would take me like a day or two to figure it out. But now I do it without even thinking about it. Has there been a lesson for you in that case where there was a huge problem for you ages ago and now it's just like a blink of an eye and it's done? Absolutely. I think the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is just sound syncing for (laughs) music videos. Yeah. Because the funny thing about music videos generally in in traditional media is they have no audio to them. So you're reading lips to sync Mm. up to the song. Oh, wow. And so 
I remember the first time I sound synced music videos, it took me like eight hours. Oh, wow. It just took me forever. And now I can read lips super well. It's like a weird <laughs> skill that I have now. I'm like, like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. But, and then I just, you know, so does that mean put like, it together in a half an hour. Does that mean you can like le- read lips in like restaurants like across the room and like figure out two No, two because you have like, to be singing. Oh, they have to be singing. They have to be singing. <laughs> yeah, If it's course. talking, I can't read it. Oh yeah, of course, that's fine. <laughs> does that mean also like having an understanding of the lyrics as well? Like, do you, let's just say, it's a Justin Bieber song. Are you looking for him to start saying yummy and then you get that sync? Yeah, usually I do start off with the first word, but there's no lyrics usually because usually mm. the songs are unreleased. So uh, if you want to get the lyrics, usually you'll, you'll Google it, it'll be released and mm. then you'll, you know, get the oh. lyrics. But usually they're unreleased songs, so there's no lyrics that's, written down. That's actually pretty cool to think about. Technically, you get the songs before millions of other people. Mm-hmm. You have the track, you have it yeah. on your computer. I, that's one of, the, one of my favorite things is with over the course of my career, it's been over 8 billion views, which is like more than the planet. But of course, there's repeated viewers. But I've always loved the idea that Okay, <laughs> don't brush over that. Oh my gosh. You know, it's more than the planet. It's more than the planet. Been, but whatever. Like, but again, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, that uh, came out really arrogantly. You're probably right. Basically, no, 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 no. on that. <laughs> it was just funny. It was okay. funny because you're just like, that's, uh, yeah, your, that's your reality, though. That is, it was just funny. That is the that is the nature of the, of YouTube. It is like that yeah. amount of scale. Yeah. And like, yeah, it is odd. You're right. Like, that is odd that I, don't, I think about that very casually now. But I think with that, it's I love the fact that as the editor, you're the first person. Not a person who films it. I'm the one who's like made the edited video. And I was the first person of those billions of people who saw that video. And I'm probably even even more exciting for you as that. a music video editor. Like, like you get the track and that's like an added bonus. You're the first person who's seen a music video and you're also one of the first probably couple hundred people actually listen to that track as well yeah i envy that it's kind of fun it's the thing is you can't share it with anybody yeah which of is course. the worst yeah. part you can't share it because then you'll be blacklisted for the entire yeah, industry exactly so it's it's a blessing and a curse mm. so tell me what is the biggest editing lesson that you've ever encountered the biggest editing lesson is due to the nature of me being on youtube i have to keep in mind the habits of the viewer where they click on our video and the way that youtube is designed to a degree, they're looking for the first reason to click off. And that's a scary thought and probably an anxiety-inducing thought. And so how can I ensure that people don't click off on our videos? How can I ensure that people will watch throughout the end? And to an degree, YouTube also has to have a high pace, mm-hmm. fast, aggressive pacing. You start the video and the video needs to end before you even realize it's begun. And what that means is... If you're wanting to be, let's just say, a traditional filmmaker in short film, you kind of have permission to kind of slow down some sequences, maybe have a couple of scenes that were probably really important to you as a director or a filmmaker that you want your audiences to see. But if that doesn't give 100% energy on YouTube, people will click off. And so one of the biggest lessons for me is there might be a moment that I love. There might be some really great joke. There might be a fascinating moment that I want people to see. But if it doesn't do a good enough job in maintaining pacing and momentum in a video, it has to be cut. And the phrase, it's one of the most classic phrases in all of film editing media, murder your darlings. Which is on the board right now. <laughs> this was supposed to be like a little Easter egg. But it's, but it's the biggest lesson in editing yeah. for Hayden Hilliard. Yes. For you. For me, wow. that is... 
the hardest part. And so for me now, I when I first had to start learning that discipline, oh, it hurts. It sucks. Imagine uh, Logan had spent like three hours getting this one shot or spent 30 takes getting this one joke because it was like a very like specific performance. And I watch all of those takes and when ah, they suck, they got to go. It doesn't matter if Logan wants it in. The audience won't find it funny. So it's going to have to go. It's like those types of moments suck. And for me also, you got to allow yourself to grieve a little bit. Like imagine you put a lot of effort into something, but if it doesn't work, it's, you're going to have to grieve. It's going to have to suck. It hurts a lot and you're going to have to cut it and it's gone. But then the best part is, is that once you've made the cut and you watch it back, you went, yeah, yeah, that should have been gone. Yeah, that sucks. That, sh- that, sh- that shouldn't have been in there. So it's like you go through this hilarious emotional uh, experience so quickly from grieving to absolute sadness to, yeah, that was a bit shit, wasn't it? <laughs> It's so quickly, I, once, you, once you get it, once you see it, there was something that I found out with Logan uh, a lot where we would discuss those types of cuts a lot. We would argue about those cuts a lot. And then I just did the cut and sent it to him and he went, yeah, you're right. And I discovered sometimes it's a lot more easy to just make the cut than to us discuss it for two hours. Oh yeah. And I found that out a That's lot. That's a hot tip. That's what I mean, Murder Darlings. That is always the biggest lesson for me. Pacing, murder your darlings. Do you find it hard to murder your darlings yourself? I think the one of the biggest benefits of having too many cooks in the kitchen mm-hmm. is in traditional media is there's people that will call that out for yeah. me. Like, I don't have to make that decision. I can put everything in. Mm. And then a director or producer will be like, okay, yeah, we have to cut it. Or let's see it that way. Mm. And like you said, trying it both ways, keeping one version with it in, one version with it out. And seeing, okay, which one flows better? Which one plays better? I would like to say, I think I've gotten a very good discipline in murder my darlings, but I'm lying. It's like when it's my content, I need a fresh perspective myself because I need to know uh, what I value the most and what people would value the best. What is the best value for them and what is the most value for me is sometimes not the same mix. And so I need that fresh perspective. I have my partner in crime, Ashley, and I like to have her watch my videos. And in the moment she starts looking away, I just need to cut. She She's also very brutal and honest, which is what I like and value. And she will tell me, this didn't work, this joke didn't work, your performance was crap here. And so I value the outside opinions. Those are very important to have. That is so good. That is so good. I need to apply that because mm. there's lots of times with my YouTube videos that I'm like, you know, I freaking love this. <laughs> Send it. Yeah. And I think having that second perspective is so 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 important mm-hmm. and and get that's one thing that film school really taught me yeah because i personally did go through film school as well and having people just roast your stuff mm-hmm. is one of the best things you can do it comes back to what i was saying earlier how everyone has a different perspective on everything mm-hmm. and so they will see something that you were probably totally blind to and they will point it out and you will go oh my god that's so obvious and so you need that especially when you're making your own content you need that perspective you need that feedback every edit well, no matter what you do, has to have feedback from at least one other person just so they can give a different perspective than you. Because if, it, if you're in your own mind, that's your world. And if you only make it for your world, that might not be universal to everyone else. And so you need someone else to kind of give an idea of what the outside world would interpret the content that you make. I would love to ask you the same question. Like, What has been the biggest, hardest, but probably most influential lesson that you have had in your editing career? There's this class, probably my favorite class in film school is called aesthetics. Mm -hmm. And the professor would talk about films and short films, any sort of media in, in a, almost like a grading scale Mm -hmm. where the film has a hundred percent when it starts off, you're making a film as a hundred and every single thing 
whether it be a sound wave, a light wave, a mm. choice, a frame, contributes to that 100. Ooh. So every single choice that you make will either keep it at 100 or take a point off. Ooh. Okay. So okay. every single choice, more so every frame, mm. is important and needs to have a reason to be there. If there's if there's a frame where you if someone asks you why is that there, just asking the question why is so important. And if mm. someone says why is that there and you don't have an answer, either cut it or make it better. Or make it better. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Always be looking at every single frame of your video, every single mm. frame of your film mm. and see, does this add, does this contribute to the story, to the emotion, to whatever we're trying to tell mm. or does it take away? I want to ask you a question and the reason why is because you mentioned it to me off camera and I want to call you out on this one. Hit me. What was the last movie you watched? Okay. <laughs> so I haven't watched movies, period. <laughs> and I don't even remember. I think the last movie I watched was... Well, was the Pirates of the Caribbean on the plane. Pirates of the Caribbean on the plane. Do you what month was that? Do you even it remember? It was it was last month. A oh, last month. But you watching your last movie you watched was on a plane. It was on a plane. The, like, and then the I, other two movies I watched on the plane were Horton Hears a Who mm -hmm. and Inside Out. And that's because uh, my fiance Ashley loves kids movies. She loves mm -hmm. animated kids movies, and so that's pretty much all I watch now. Which three of those movies stuck with you the most? Honestly, Inside Out. Yeah. Literally the last 30 minutes, mm. I was bawling. Like, my, I was, yeah, I was uncontrollably crying on the plane. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even see, like, the last 15 minutes because I was just like this. <laughs> my head was in my shirt <laughs> on the plane because it was so embarrassing. I don't know why. I was just crying no. so much. Men should be able to cry. They, they should be able to. It. They should be able to. But Ashley and I were both just messed up next to each other <laughs> watching Inside Out. And it was at the moment when Bing Bong sacrificed himself. Oh, no. So Joy could get to the top and then get back to the, the main area. I love the fact that you mentioned Inside Out. Because that moment is so important because I think sacrifice is part of the journey. That's why it's very important. That's why it's such a common thing in storytelling. You know, like someone has to make the sacrifice because it then shows the journey of the pain you had to get through to get to the destination. Exactly. But it's a shame that sacrifice is part of that. Like someone has to die every time to have a justifiable storytelling journey, but it's fine. <laughs> but that for me broke me as well. The reason why I love the fact that you mentioned that is I have never cried in a movie ever before. I've never particularly, I've been entertained. I've like laughed during comedy movies or whatnot, but that movie and especially that moment as well, which is why I loved the fact you mentioned it, activated something. And I remember being in the cinema crying for the first time. I'm watching it and I'm feeling really, really sad. And suddenly my face starts tickling. I'm like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> what is this? It was like the first time a tear had come out while watching a movie. Uh, and I was like, and then since then the floodgates have been opened. And that's I like, how like, that works, like, right? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly how, that's what I mean by something's activated. And so I go into movies with the expectation I'm going to cry now and I cannot stop it now. And like, and I, and I, but I very proudly cry now. And it's like, you did it, movie. Well done. You made me cry. Yeah. It's, and the irony is that it's a movie about emotions. It's a movie about emotions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I like, love your Nemo breakdown. Yes. Yes. So freaking good. That's one of my favorite films ever. It's me not, too. It, yeah. It's another Dude, one. That's like top 10 films. Yes. Absolutely. I think for me, it's 
such a condensed, well-made story. Every every line of dialogue contributes towards something. A lot of things in Act One contribute towards Act Three. For me, I love the the storytelling philosophy of a want and a need and a flaw. And I think in all of those contributing towards the story and contributing towards w- what each of those three points of a character are challenged and how they change over the course of a story, it's done perfectly. And Andrew Stanton, the director, he did a TED Talk, which again I included in the video of, he did the bottom line rule, every story needs to make you care. And every time I've watched that Finding Nemo movie, and I've watched it probably more than 15 times in my life, I care so much every time. I think more so every time I do watch it. I think even with age, when you grow up, you have new experiences, you know, like I thought about being a dad now and suddenly I'm now thinking, I don't want to be an overprotective dad. And now look at Marlin as more so as a bad father now. I remember when I was younger, empathized with Nemo so much more because I was wanting a kid, wanting to be free. There is a storytelling character for everyone yes that's every what character it is. is so relatable every character is so relatable every character has their own wants needs and flaws that they explore and overcome oh man i love that movie so much <laughs> we could go in we, we could talk about this for an hour but or for two hours but i think we need to probably keep this in mind i love that for maybe so another much. time <laughs> nemo is such a bop that's one of our favorite movies but what is genuinely your favorite movie ever my favorite movie ever, and I've only seen it once. I'm afraid to watch it again because I don't want it to not be my favorite movie, but The Shawshank Redemption. Yes, yes. It's just, I was so emotionally moved and I thought about that movie for like a couple weeks mm. after watching it. If there's a movie that can make me think about it mm-hmm. for two weeks after mm-hmm. I've watched it, it's a freaking good movie. One things with that is one of my favorite filmmaking philosophies. Do you actually remember specifically what happened in the movie? Mm-hmm. Oh, you well, do? I mean, generally. Some you know, of the details I Some of the details you want. But you do remember how the film made you feel. Mm-hmm. And that's what stuck with you. Mm-hmm. The best stories, the best content, the best films are ones that generate a memory with you. One, And then that's feeling, that emotion, that memory is what sticks with you for such a long time. And Shawshank Redemption does that so well. The way that film feels, the way that film tells its story, the way it invests in its characters you feel every moment and you feel their dread, you feel their joy, you feel their hopelessness and you feel the journeys and changes that they have. And you need as a filmmaker to be able to achieve that emotional core of generating a memory for your audience. And that's when you know you've made a good film. And The Shawshank Redemption, again, has stuck with me for years. That is a fond memory for me, but I don't remember the film, but I do remember how it made me feel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a lovely moment to probably end it, actually. Sweet. <laughs> We're going to have more episodes of these, us learning about filming, editing, storytelling, and everything in between, and bringing on guests to help us learn more. I'm so excited to embark on this journey, Hayden. This is going to be brilliant. Indeed. Great. Let's Thank do you it. so much. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs>